0: Well, thank you, worship team. Always an incredible experience. We're so fortunate as a church to have such great-hearted and talented people leading us into God's presence every week. So thankful for that. Well, uh, good morning, hoop fests, non-attenders. Good to see you here. Yeah, woo. Uh, Hopefully, your team won. Uh, but, uh, hey, glad you're here. I love our city and love the fact that we get to have these incredible events that draw thousands of people from all over the region to come and participate. Super exciting and fun. Well, today uh, is a fifth Sunday, and we have those about four times a year. And every fifth Sunday, we present kind of an, a special kind of opportunity that we get to give into. And let me explain this one to you. I shared a little bit last week. It's called the PNW Movement, and the PNW Movement is really something that's a move of God that we, the pastors and churches in this city, are praying for and expecting in faith for God to do in the next kind of years ahead, and we are praying we need a move of God. Would you agree with that? We need God to do something fresh and new in our region and we are praying that God will just break through in a powerful way. We have about a million people in the greater Spokane area, kind of including the Coeur area. And out of those people, out of the million souls, about 800,000 of them don't go to church, don't have a relationship with Jesus, and are in great need of knowing his goodness and grace. They're, they're in a place where they need to come into the ...into the family of God, and they need to have this real encounter with the real Jesus. And so it's about people. The PNW movement is about people coming to know Jesus and becoming a disciple who then makes disciples. And one of the best ways, matter of fact, missiologists have found the best way... ...in order to reach into a a community where there are all kinds of lost souls... ...is through church planting. Planting fresh, new, vibrant gospel communities... And so we are trusting and believing that God is going to plant 400 new churches in the next 10 years. And here's how it's going to happen. It's going to happen not through just uh, our church planting one or two and another church planting separately, independently one or two and someone else planting one or two. Uh, that's been going on, and we celebrate that. been going on for the last 30 years. But we are praying that something new happens, and it's called collaboration where we work together, pray together, give together, reach out and do this mission together between Baptists and Pentecostals and uh, Lutherans and Presbyterians and denominations and non-denominations and high church and low church, and that anyone who calls on the name of Jesus, that we gather together and we begin to reach into our community together. And so we formed this, this kind of grouping of churches called the PNW Movement. We have about 35 churches right now that are involved at some level. And out of those, currently, 15 of them are meeting together in networks. And in those networks, what we've said is we want to do mission together as friends. So relationship is what binds us together. We want to build trust. And we want to just kind of tear down the walls of division and competition and all of those unhealthy things that get in the way of churches. And then secondly, we want to be committed to reproducing. Any church we plant, we want to make sure it's a reproducing church. And then thirdly, we want residents, people that will be in leadership development at all of our churches, learning how to go and plant a church. And then lastly, sharing resources. And man, that's where the that's where the rubber meets the road a lot of times. We can talk all the talk, right? And then it's like when it's time to write the check. That's when it gets real. And so we've said, we're going to each church that's, that's a participating church in the PNW movement will receive an offering once a year, and it'll go into a collective pot together that, that all these churches that are, have that like-minded heart will then decide, how, how do we invest this in church planting? So for example... Real Life North is planting a church out in Cheney with uh, Shane Austin and his family. And a and, uh, super exciting, great, great guy. And we par- are partnering with him in planting the Real Life Church in Cheney. And we're partnering with him. We're giving funds to that. We're praying for him. We're encouraging anybody who, uh, who might want to go with him or if you know someone, especially people who may not know Jesus that live out in the Cheney area, connect up with shane and you can get his information out at the welcome table that's out there if you want to contact him and uh and so it's exciting to say you know we're helping plant someone else plant their church but we're all doing it together and then we're believing that god's gonna permit us we've planted i think four churches in the last seven years we're gonna plant another church in the next 18 months uh... and we're we're praying that god will give us a leader to go do that with and then other churches will collaborate and partner with us in that in the planting of that church does that sound fun that sounds really exciting and uh... yeah i mean what's going to happen when churches actually love each other and work together that's where the move of god's gonna show up uh... so i want to show you this quick little video of, of shane just thanking you thanking us as a church, and then uh, I'll, I'll share that opportunity with you.
1: This PNW movement that, that God's starting in our region is, is really incredible. Uh, one of the things that's always captured my heart is when Jesus prays in John 17 that we would be one The way him and the Father are one, he says, so that the world would know uh, the Father sent him. So Jesus stakes um, our unity, really, saying that's the greatest evidence uh, to the world that Jesus is who he says he is. The Father sent him. The Father loves the world. And so, um, man, just being part of this collective collaboration of churches coming together. For us, it's so encouraging to know that not only do we have our sending church, we have so many churches that believe in us, believe that God has called us, they're supporting us, they're behind us in prayer, and, and, and man, it's just been incredible, honestly, to be able to walk on uh, just the shoulders of those who have gone before us, and, and so I just love um, being a part of this collaboration. It's super big on our hearts. It's not about one church name or title, it's about God's kingdom advancing. That's really what this network is all about, It's coming together under the banner of God's kingdom, seeing as many people as possible say yes to Jesus. Man, I love being a part of what God's doing in Spokane, in our region. Um, I love seeing what God's doing in this PNW movement. Churches coming together to plant more churches to see more people say yes to Jesus. And our heart is for Cheney, the region out there. Um, God's clearly called my family and I to to bring the gospel and what he's done in our lives to see as many people as possible say yes to Jesus. Hey, North Church, I just wanna say thank you so much You were the first church that we actually got to come and and share um, about our heart for Chini and what God's called us to. You you prayed with us and over us, and then you gave financially. Um, We're actually able to purchase um, some big pieces of equipment because of your generosity. So thank you for believing us, praying for us, collaborating with us as we seek to follow God's call.
0: Yeah. Exciting. (laughs) So... um, In this particular special offering, anything that you feel led by the Spirit to give uh, that you memo, Fifth Sunday or PNW, uh, or if you uh, give through text online or our online options, look for the Fifth Sunday drop down on that, and uh, that will go towards church planning over the course of the year in a collaborative spirit amongst other churches, and uh, that'll be exciting. So this is the time that we're going to receive our normal tithes and offering, or if you want to give above and beyond towards the PNW movement, you can do that right now. If you're visiting, don't feel any obligation to give. We're just glad you're here with us today. Well, we're going to dive into uh, this next chapter in Galatians, the letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians in the region there of Galatia. And uh, this is an exciting letter. It's really uh, one that focuses on the theme of freedom that we're called into freedom in Christ. And so we're going to look at chapter 5 today. If you have a Bible, open it with me or you can follow along on the screen or in your phone. The first half of chapter 5 Paul is really talking about the fact that we are free in Christ and we're free specifically from legalism. Legalism, which is that, that idea that we have to do something in order to get ourselves right or keep ourselves right with God. And back then in the day, it was around the, the Judeo, uh, the, the law of Moses, the Jewish law of certain holidays that had to be kept, certain regulations and rituals that had to be adhered to, circumcision, and other types of uh, requirements that had been given to Moses. And Paul is making the case that we no longer are called or need to. Matter of fact, it's impossible to earn God's favor or justify ourselves in his sight through the keeping of religious rules or regulations. Now, I get that um, most of us in the room are not tempted to obey the Mosaic law, the the Jewish law. But we, if we're honest, we, we struggle with this concept that there's nothing I can do in order to make God like me more. Because most of us kind of have that wired inside of us that surely I've got to do something, clean my act up before I come to God, before I would ever be accepted by God or be able to come to a church, be able to worship freely. I've got to do something to clean my act up first. And yet the scripture teaches us that there's no way you can clean yourself up to be worthy enough to come into God's presence. Matter of fact, Galatians chapter five, we'll start in verse one. It says this It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Here's the topic sentence for this chapter Christ has set us free. And now he wants us to live free, free in this thing called grace, the gift of God, his unmerited favor that he loves you, not dependent upon anything you do to earn it, but it's unconditional, poured out on the cross specifically for you. The audience that Paul is writing to uh, are being coerced and convinced That they need to kind of return to this law, to the law of Moses. That there's something that they can do to make themselves righteous. Verse 6 in the message translation says, For in Christ neither our most conscientious religion nor disregard of religion amounts to anything. What matters is something far more interior, faith expressed, in love now what a concept that it's not about what i do it's about what christ has done it's not about me making myself righteous or even a little bit more in god's sight but it's receiving the righteousness of christ and what he did on the cross and paul is saying just resist that attitude or that belief that says i've got to participate in my own salvation I've got to keep God happy. I've got to make myself lovable somehow in God's sight. And yet it's not, it's not what you do. It's your faith like Abraham. It's your faith that makes you righteous. Faith in Christ. Faith in what Jesus did on the cross. Galatians chapter 5, verse 11 says, Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted. Paul is saying, hey, people are out there saying that I'm telling you to return to the law. I'm not. He's saying, because if I was telling you to return to all the good deeds that you could do, why am I still being persecuted? And he says, in that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Did you know the cross has an offense behind it? It's offensive to so many. The word offense translated in the Greek means, or that word in, a, in the Greek is scandalon, which means a trap, a snare, an enticement, a temptation, a stumbling block. And for so many people, when they look at the cross, it's a stumbling block. It's offensive. You know why it's offensive? Because it says that you're a sinner in need of a savior. And that, that just is offensive to people. To go, what do you mean? What do you mean I'm not good enough to be able to Earn my way in. There's nothing that I can do. It offends our pride, our human pride. It tells us that we're sinners under just condemnation of God. There's nothing we can do other than to say, God, save me. God, forgive me. God, I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the penalty. The death I deserved was placed on him. And that message still Offends people. I was talking to my dad about this concept of grace. My dad um, is a professing agnostic. He's not yet a Christian and believes in the possibility of a God, but doesn't live his life that way. Uh, but he's an amazing guy. Just a, he's a very loving person, a good person. He reaches out and serves people, uh, does things for all kinds of people. Uh, and yet I had this conversation with him about God and about heaven and about what it means to kind of receive Christ. And and he it, it kind of came to this conclusion that a lot of people come to, which is he said, Mike, I, I'm just going to live my life as best I can and be you know good and do good things and make sure that the good of my life outweighs the bad that I've done. And if, if I can just do that, then if what you say is true and if God is real and if heaven is out there, then I, I'm just believing that I'd make it in because the good of my life outweighed the bad of my life. And, I'm, you know, as I look around, I'm, hopefully I'm a little bit better than the person on my right or on my left. Maybe you've thought that before. And it's offensive to hear that, no, there's nothing you can do to convince God, to persuade God. None of your good works amount to anything that would be sufficient to say, okay, you're good enough. I'm going to let you in to heaven. But it's only through Jesus Christ. And it's that word only through Jesus Christ that can be so offensive to people. How about you? What are you relying on? What are you relying on for your, with your relationship with God or even your eternal place in heaven? Are you relying on the good works of your life or are you relying on simply what Jesus did at the cross? We often find out what we rely on when we blow it. Have you ever just sinned really bad? You've blown it. You've made mistakes. You've failed. You've cheated. You've done something and you just feel like, oh, man. I thought I was okay with God, and now I'm not, and I've got to withdraw from church and kind of back away from everything because, you know, I've so disappointed myself. We all can be in that situation. The question is, when you're there, can you go back to the very thing that you started with, which is grace? God, forgive me. God, you love me. God, you accept me. God, you're calling me into this walk of grace and this walk of faith for the rest of my life. And so we don't we don't run from the cross, we run to the cross. You see, justification by faith, this thing of grace that I'm talking about, and the thing we've been talking about for the last four weeks, is something that isn't just coming into relationship with God. It's staying in relationship with God. That we don't disappoint ourselves because we're a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I'm going to blow it. And so when I do, I have an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. That I'm not just saved by grace, I'm kept by grace, and I walk by grace every day of my life. And Paul is saying you're saved and you're, you're saved and you're made free. From something to something. He set us free from serving a system of rules and rituals. From trying to save ourselves and atone for our own sin. And, we're, and then we're set free to something. To now live by the Spirit. We're saved to a purpose that's higher than just serving ourselves. Paul's gospel of grace of Jesus plus nothing ran one great risk that people might, they just might, I mean, hey, human nature is what it is, right? They might get the idea that because God's grace is so big and so rich and His forgiveness is so complete that I can kind of just do anything I want in life now and God will just forgive me, you know, boop, boop. forgiveness, and I just move on, right? Don't have to worry about behaviors or anything that I do. And Paul addresses this in verse 13. He says, you, my brothers and sisters... You're called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. You are called to be free to humbly love other people. That's different than what the world would say freedom is, isn't it? I mean, we are free from the burden of our guilt and shame, free from the burden of having to earn our way to heaven, free from trying to be good enough on our own, free from human pride and selfishness. Jesus sets us free free to love God, free to be a giver, free to love people, free to serve others without having an angle to it. So many Christians and so many people, when they look at Christians, think of Walking with Jesus, kind of picking up your cross and denying self and following after God is is this thing that will take away all your freedom. You ever thought that? I had a a friend uh, by the name of John when I was in college, and I remember speaking to him about this idea of freedom, and and that was his very concern is, I don't want to be a Christian because I don't want to lose my freedom. I want to be free to do anything I want to do. I don't know about you, but when I was in college, man, I was screwed up. I was screwed up. I was still had all this baggage from my high school years. I was still addicted to drugs and weed and getting drunk and all kinds of other crazy stuff and did a lot of partying. And, and, and all my buddies, all my friends were kind of people that were in that kind of vein. And uh, then one summer, when I was 19, I was out in Fresno, California, and I met this Christian lady who led me to Christ. She explained grace to me. She explained this whole thing of just forgiveness, that there's nothing I could do, which I was glad because I couldn't do anything anyways, and and that I received Christ. And I I left her home that summer, a new creation. Something had happened on the inside of my life, even though the behaviors of my life had not changed. I was still smoking weed, still partying, but I was a new creation in Christ. And yes, I know, it sounds confusing, doesn't it? Wasn't interested in church, still going to parties. And I would show up at a party where all my friends were, and I would start, you know, we'd be passing a joint around, and we'd, I'd be telling them about Jesus. And I know. <laughs> they were confused, too. They were like, what, what are you doing here? Why are you here? You're disrupting the party. This is not fun anymore with you here. And... Uh, and I just wanted them to know that their sins could be forgiven, that they could be uh, made whole in their heart and the thing they were pursuing through all of this stuff. And and finally, I'm sitting there in my apartment with this friend, John, and we're passing a bong. And I don't know what they call it today because everything's been upgraded, hasn't it? Like it's rebranded now, cannabis. So because it's cannabis, it's okay, right? because it's now just sounds sophisticated now whatever anyways so I'm stepping on a few of your toes right Because you just think like man I'm just recreating and it's like no we called it smoking weed and being stupid and my guess is it's pretty similar today but I I digress a little bit there um so we're in a, in the apartment, and we're having this conversation, and I said, John, here's the thing. We're not free. We just say we are. But, you, you know, you could quit just to spite me for a day or a week or a month, but you can't just quit, and I can't. We know it. We know that we can. not We know that we're prone to these destructive behaviors and addictions because we're bored, because we're angry, because uh, we're purposelessness. Because of all these things, we're just trying to fill it with other stuff. And we're addicted to this stuff. And you know it's true. And I'm saying this while I'm involved in it. Because the Holy Spirit was speaking to me and leading me out of those behaviors and addictions. And it took some time. But we're not free to just do anything we want to do. That's not real freedom. That's slavery. And God has called us into something so much better. There's a freedom in Christ. A freedom that we are called into. Paul said it this way. He said in 1 Corinthians, he said, It's true that our freedom allows us to do anything, but that doesn't mean that everything we do is good for us. I'm free to do as I choose, but I choose to never be enslaved to anything. I mean, if you're really honest with yourself, are you enslaved to anything? Is there anything in your life, anything in your behaviors, anything in your attitude of heart, anything that you know that you can't just make a decision overnight and be done with it? You told yourself you could, but you know deep in your heart you can't. That's what Christ has come to set you free from. Christ has called us to be free, but we must use our freedom not to indulge our selfish and sinful desires, but to serve one another in love. A freedom to serve, a freedom to love, a freedom to say yes to God, a freedom to obey the Spirit where He leads and prompts, a freedom to give because we're not afraid that we'll somehow lack and not have enough. And it's a freedom that doesn't indulge the flesh. Verse 14 says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Where did Paul get that? Well, he got it from Jesus, right? Jesus said, if you were to take all of the law and sum it up into one thing, it would be love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and then to love your neighbor like you love yourself. St. Augustine put it this way. He said, love God and do what you want. Because when you really love God, when it's authentic and real at the core, his love will motivate you to do the right stuff. His love will motivate you. It will not be rules, top-down ritual, demanding that you conform. It will be the spirit of God at work from the inside out saying there's something better for us that he calls us to. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, here's the irony. We can't keep the law to be accepted by God. We're not good enough. But in Christ, we're already accepted by God. And we end up doing what he wants out of gratitude, out of love. There's a motivational change on the inside of our lives. Our obedience is a response to his grace. Think with me for a moment just in your own life. What person has done something for you that just kind of blew you away with how generous it was towards you, how good it was, how loving it was. Maybe someone taught you to read, or they paid your way through college, or they adopted you into their family, or what's the biggest thing someone has done for you? I I know as I was trying to think through this, I have so many things that I am grateful for. One of them in particular, I was in Costa Rica, Serving as a missionary, we were broke, couldn't, didn't have two nickels to rub together. And I had this Jeep that was kind of the, the, the way which we got around the country, the way that we got around the city. And the Jeep was an old, like, Toyota, uh, uh, Toyota, uh, let me think. I can't even think of the second word to it. It wasn't like the newer ones now, huh? Yeah, it was like a Land Cruiser. It was the little one. But anyways, it, it broke. The engine blew up. I had no way to get around any longer. Didn't have any money to fix it. Nobody was coming to my rescue. And there was this guy who was like an acquaintance, but he turned into a pretty deep friend. And his name was James. And James heard about the need that I had. And he said, I'm gonna, I, I feel prompted by the Spirit to come over and just work on your Jeep and totally uh, rebuild your engine for you. No cost. So he shows up for the next several weeks with his tools, and he's just all day long, working in my garage, taking everything apart in the engine, cleaning it, restoring it, getting parts for it, fixing it, bringing it back to where it ran like brand new. And I remember driving it for the first time, and every day, I mean, I'm out there trying to give him lemonade and sandwiches and anything, you know, because I felt so overwhelmed, And so for the rest of my time where James was there in the city, I just looked for ways that I could serve him, ways that I could show him how, appreciate, how much I appreciate what he did for me. I mean, it wasn't guilt. It wasn't shame. It wasn't trying to earn anything from him. He just over and over told me, don't, you don't need to do anything. More. I don't want anything from you. I just did it because God wanted me to do it for you. Isn't it hard to receive sometimes? Sometimes that's harder than giving. It's just to receive something. And then out of that receiving something amazing, to, then there's a motivation of the heart that it just we grow in this love and this gratitude for the grace that's been given to us. Grace motivates. Did you know that grateful and grace, they come from the same root in both English and Greek? When we're recipients of this lavish grace, we can't help but be grateful. And that gratitude motivates us to do what otherwise we might not do because grace initiates and then faith responds. And when you understand what God has done for you in the sending of his son, Jesus, when we understand the payment The sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for me. I didn't deserve that. It motivates us to live the rest of our life not keeping rules, not trying to keep God happy, not trying to, to, uh, you know, kind of keep people off our back, not trying to impress anybody, but just to live out of this, this attitude of gratitude. Verse 16, Paul said, I say then walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Don't you love that? That the Spirit leads us out from underneath the law to be weighted down, and to be motivated by law-keeping to a place where he actually brings us to this higher place where we're willing to deny self and sacrifice in order to live out this grace that God has so freely given to us. Now, the flesh, when he's talking about don't live by the flesh, he's not talking about this kind of flesh. He's talking about those sinful desires that are within us that wage war against the Spirit. And uh, it's just interesting how that works. There's this thing, this battle that goes in our lives, even as Christians, where there's, there's this battle going on where the Spirit of God is living within you, but there, there's still this sinful nature that oftentimes is trying to bring you back under control. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 kind of spells it out. It's kind of an ugly picture. Here it goes in the message translation. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, Paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper and impotence to love or be loved, divided homes, divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, I could go on, Please don't. (laughs) Works of the flesh. These are the things that want to bring you into slavery and bring me into slavery. The flesh is demanding. It shouts to get your attention. The Holy Spirit whispers. The Holy Spirit prompts. The Holy Spirit gently guides So we have to decide which way are we going to live? Are we going to live by the Spirit and listen to the whispers of the Spirit? Are we going to live by the demands of the flesh? The flesh shouts, go ahead, look at that porn site. No one will ever know. And the Spirit whispers, please don't. You'll end up guilty and shame-filled. The flesh shouts, Buy what you want. You worked hard. You deserve it. The spirit whispers, Oh man, nothing but to love him. The flesh, the flesh shouts, If it feels good, do it. The spirit whispers, Pick up your cross. Deny yourself. Follow Christ. See, we're in a battle. And Paul says the battles between our sinful, selfish, kind of uh, nature and the Holy Spirit who now resides within us, who wants to grow fruit inside our lives. Have you ever done something and then said, well, I'm only human? Well, you're no longer only human if the Holy Spirit lives in you because now you have the person of God, the power of God living in you and you become a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so you have been empowered to live a different kind of life to live a life that is not about just ourself, but a life that's about living to love. To love God first and to love other people. Living by s- stepping into this relationship with God and being led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. All of these are metaphors of what it means to just be in communion daily with God. And here's the choice that we have. The choice to live by the shout of the flesh or the whisper of the spirit. Which will you choose? When you walk in the spirit, the spirit works in you constantly, empowering you and changing you from the inside out. And the spirit starts growing this new character in you where when you look at yourself 10 years down the line, it's not even the same person because of what God has done growing new attitudes and new motivations that lead to new behaviors. Verse 22 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. When you read that, those fruits of the Spirit, don't don't you want that to be kind of the, the character of your life? That when people look at you and look at me, they see those things in us. Spirit is at work in you. Know that fruit is grown, it's not given. And so God's at work in you. Yes, He gives you gifts, but He grows the fruit of the Spirit in your life as you walk with Him, as you stay in step with Him, as you keep saying yes to Him. See, God loves you just as you are. You don't have to do anything different. He just loves you. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. So he keeps prompting you and empowering you and calling you to change. And The key to fruitfulness is just staying connected to Jesus, living in communion with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to pray in just a moment, and I just want to ask you, where do you need to be set free? Where? Maybe for some it's just that that place of being set free from your sins, of trying to atone for yourself, of always trying to be good enough. And just to relinquish that control and saying, God, here I am, my full mess, the full meal deal. Lord, save me, love me, forgive me. For others, and I'm speaking to Christians. There's places where God wants to bring freedom into your life, where you're still in bondage. You're still in a place where there's strongholds or addictions, where there's these people you're trying to please. You're wasting so much effort trying to please these people, whoever they are, instead of just being who God has created you to be. Some of you, God is gifted with boldness, but you feel muzzled. God wants to free that. Some are struggling with this whole thing of giving. You're just stuck in this place of scarcity in your life that you got to get all you can and you can't give away because then you won't have enough. And God wants to deliver you from that mentality of scarcity into a place of abundance that God is an abundant God and you can never outgive him. That as we give, he replenishes. There's addictions that are from a past behavior in your life that has just kind of dogged you, and God wants to set you free from that because you were called to live free from something to something. Let's not get stuck in religious behaviors. Let's not get stuck in dead religion, powerless religion, but let's keep turning To God by His Spirit and allowing the the power of His Spirit to keep breaking these shackles off of our life. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your coming to this world, crashing into us with your grace, revealing, God, that Jesus is the answer and that there's nothing we can contribute. To our salvation and so we come humbly and we ask God would you bring salvation and wholeness to our life today and if that's you just say yes to God today, yes Jesus I receive you and for others Lord there's this work of freeing us into increasing levels of freedom that you want to do in our life. And so Lord, would you identify for each one of us where it is that you're at work and where you want to bring freedom to us? A freedom God that it's not about a book. It's not about a counselor, it's not about going to a conference, it's not about it's about a work of your spirit on the inside out that you want to do. Yes, you might use other people in, in this process, but God, we turn to you right now, you and you alone and say, Jesus, bring freedom to my life. Freedom from addiction, from anything that would seek to have mastery over me. Freedom, God, from smallness in my thinking, a freedom, God, from being muzzled in the things that you put in my heart to say or share or write. God, I pray, bring us into these places of freedom so that we can live out the law of love. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, if you opened up your heart today to Jesus Christ. I want to tell you it's the best thing you could have ever done. I want to encourage you to come up and pray with our team that will be right over here on this side. And I'll be over here for any of you that may be new. I'd love to meet you right over here at our First Connect for three or four minutes and say hello and give you some ways you can connect here. And then I want to remind all of you that uh, for those of you who just love to pray, I want to invite you to come next week at 8 o'clock in the morning to pray with us. We have a pre-service monthly prayer time. 8 in the morning in this room, 8 to 8.30. And uh, you're, you're invited to come and be a part of that. Well, God bless you. Have a great Sunday today. And we'll see you next week. Happy Fourth of July.